Welcome to Relaunch, the GCC podcast. I'm your host, Marty Duran, Director of Communications at the Great Commission Collective. We're a global network of churches joined together to plant churches and strengthen leaders. Joining me is the president of the Great Commission Collective, Dave Harvey, to begin a multi-episode conversation about relaunching vision and mission in a pandemic time. As churches and states and locales begin to open up and make decisions regarding regathering in different ways and at different speeds, what are some of the things that we need to think about? How do we look at ministry going forward? Dave Harvey joins me today as well as GCC's own Brian White to talk about some of these things as churches get together and look at ministry and mission coming out of the pandemic. And now, episode three of Relaunch. Hello again, everybody. Thank you for joining with another episode of Relaunch. It's great to have you here. Uh, We have a guest today, Dave. We certainly do. I'm excited about it. Uh, why don't you take an opportunity to tell everyone who our guest is? Yeah, you know, Marty, uh, Brian White does not need to be introduced to Great Commission Collective guys. I mean, this is a guy that is already very well known and deeply loved. Uh, but in the event, we've got friends and other listeners kind of listening in. Brian serves as lead pastor of Harvest Church. That's in North Indy. Uh, He's a graduate of Cedarville. He did his MDiv at Southern Baptist. He's working on his doctorate now at Southeastern Baptist. And uh, yeah, I mean, most important to me, though, is Brian is my predecessor as executive director of Great Commission Collective, and he has become a really good friend. So, Brian, it's great to have you with us today. Yeah, thanks for letting me be with you guys. Really appreciate it. Love our friendship, Dave. So just to wade in a little bit, Brian, what would you say, give me the biggest surprise you've encountered during the pandemic? Yeah, I think one of the biggest surprises is just how everything has stopped or come to a complete halt um, and doesn't look like it's returning to normal. I think there will be a new normal. I think it will be good. I believe in the sovereignty of God. But I think the surprising thing is how everything turned so quickly and every pastor, every church was in um, in the mode of needing to kind of pivot very quickly. Uh, that was really surprising. Usually when ministry changes happen, you get some level of um, runway to get ready to do that. Uh, but I was really surprised in this that there was none of that. It was just, man, it's changing. Yeah, and there's no seminars, books, no classes in seminary, nothing. That's to right. No playbook for how to lead through a pandemic. So everybody's kind of starting at the same place, which which is really unusual. Um, so, Brian, we two days ago, we completed our four-week cohort with the majority of the senior pastors in GCC. And what happened there is I asked you to wrap up with the message on the importance of mission in pandemic, because because in private conversations you and I have been having, that's really been beating on both of our hearts. Um, why don't you go back and tell us why is mission so important uh, to talk about in the middle of a pandemic? Well, I think mission is important to talk about all the time, uh, especially during the pandemic, just because I think there's two aspects going on. I think, number one, God uses the pandemic in us personally 
Uh, God, God uses it to uh, push us closer to Christ's likeness. So there's an element there of like, how am I being involved in mission personally as a follower of Christ? Um, and then there's the issue of how is my church being involved in mission uh, during this time? And so, you know, we were kind of talking with the guys and we said that, you know, first of all, if we understand the great commandment, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself, that, that means that mission and outreach, whatever you want to call it, disciple-making, um, it really is an issue of worship between us and the Lord. Um, before we see it as something that's an application of a church or something that our, our church is going to do, um, it's ultimately an act of worship between me as a follower of Christ, purchased with the blood of Christ, um, to love my neighbor is to love the Lord your God because God loves my neighbor. And so we talked, first of all, about the fact that it's really an issue of worship, first of all. And second of all, we talked about the fact that it's an issue of raising up worshipers. Um, and that should be on our heart and mind all the time. It's on the heart of God. God says in Malachi 1.11, you know, my name will be great among the nations um, and incense will rise to me, will literally worship will rise to me from every place. And so if we're about the things that are on God's heart, it doesn't change in a pandemic. Um, it could be certainly, as it has been, I believe, accentuated in one. Uh, we see new opportunities. But for me, um, I think it comes back to mission is so important because, first of all, it's an act of worship between me as a follower of Christ and my Lord who saved me. Uh, but it's also an issue of raising up worshipers. So that, that was kind of what was on my heart as we kind of began that conversation this week. Marty, I don't know if I'm getting this quote right, but I'm, I'm thinking about the, uh, a Piper quote that goes something like, uh, mission exists because worshipers do not. Yeah, that's pretty close. Yeah, and, and just how this, um, yeah. th there's a vision that every Christian must have that ultimately God is creating worshipers and that this is going to resolve one day in in us being together in new heavens and new earth in a, in a worship environment, being able to adore what we only see in part right now. So um, moving on, Brian, I, uh, I remember you walking through some of the points that you were making. Uh, you, I think you started out by distinguishing between theology, philosophy, and methods. And I thought that was a really wise place to begin. Uh, so why don't you tell us, well, first, define each of those for us, and then tell us why it's important to keep them distinguished. Yeah, I, I think, first of all, just to understand my background as a church planner, when you come into the church planning enterprise and you've got all these different things in front of you and you have all these different things to accomplish and you have all these schedules to try to keep and you're just asking the Lord for you know, somebody to show up when you launch this church, it's really easy for ministry to become very um, all mixed together, convoluted. And I think that learning the discipline of thinking critically about ministry is really, really important. And for me, um, what that means is, is understanding three things, theology, philosophy, and method, and understanding how they flow together, but how they are distinct of one another. And so theology, when I think of theology, I think of what the Bible says. And we would all recognize that there's there's different levels of theological triage. There's some theological issues that are more important than others. Um, you know, but theology is 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 what the Bible says about something. And so that's that's what our churches are based on. And really, 
we shouldn't be moving around. We shouldn't be changing our opinions on that. The theology is what the theology is. So theology really is what does the Bible say about something? Um, for instance, we are called biblically, we are called theologically to go and make disciples. There's a theological truth there that we're called to. The philosophy of ministry, philosophy is really what we've come to believe and value about ministry in our setting. And so um, based on our theology, based on what the Bible says, we, be, we begin to think about what does that look like in the setting I'm in? And, and we begin to get values. We begin to have certain beliefs about it. We believe that we should be making disciples, but in our setting, it should look like this. And um, we feel like these are the values that have to happen. For instance, something like church planting. There's a lot of different ways to do church planting, but we at GCC, we believe in strategic church planting, doing it together. Um, and not just kind of letting guys go out and, and do different things. We think about worship a certain way in our church. We um, believe in in expository verse-by-verse verse preaching by the intent of the author. Like those are all ministry philosophy things that then frame what the church looks like. Um, and then method is just what you choose to do to uh, live out or enact those theological and philosophical things. For instance, how are we going to do whatever this thing is during this season for maximum faithfulness and fruitfulness. So like when I think about like the fact that we're theologically, biblically called to make disciples, and we in our church philosophically believe that should be in a smaller setting where there's life on life, where there's good accountability, we logically move to the method of small groups as opposed to a Sunday school class or an adult level fellowship because of how those things fit together. So theology, philosophy, and method. And what that also allows, Dave, really is this. It allows me to be incredibly uh, discerning about when we need to change methods. Um, and and, I, and, and we, don't, we don't raise methods to a level of importance that they don't have. It also allows us to be gracious to our brothers and sisters in Christ who have different methods than we do. Um, it, it really goes back to, hey, do you understand what the Bible says? Do you understand why you value and believe what you do in your setting? But then how are we going to be faithful and fruitful in this season of time? That's good. Yeah, that, that's very good. It, it kind of reminds me of Keller's book on uh, Center Church, um, where he talks about how the crying need is that uh, there's there's something missing between what he called the hardware, which you would call theology, the hardware of the church, theological foundation, and the software, which is the methods, the ministry practice. He said he says we need a a middleware, and that middleware is what what Keller calls a, a theological vision for ministry. Right. And, uh, that's what that's what connects the hardware to the software, and it uh, it helps to bring vision for what we're going to do with our doctrine in a particular time and at a particular place. So, and I, Dave, I think that's I, I think that's so important for church planners, just from the perspective of if we don't develop that strong understanding of what philosophy of ministry is, and we just start mixing method and theology a lot um, together. It really it causes us to be um, to not think critically about issues and not be discerning about how to be gracious and choose a right path for a right season like the one that we're in. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that applying this to church planters is really important because um, we want to be seeing churches planted 
even during a pandemic. In fact, one might make the case that never has it been more important than, than during times of great suffering and great need for the gospel to go forward through church planting. So um, one of the things that you talked about, Brian, was how, how mission is first local. I think this was under your thinking practically point, but you were saying um, we, we've got to think about mission, you know, globally, regionally, but we first think about it locally, meaning the folks in your neighborhood, the folks in your community. I, I think you even told a story about cutting your neighbor's grass. I mean, I mean, just take us back to that and walk us through that point and share a couple of those illustrations. I think when we talked about that this week, Dave, uh, one of the things that I'm very mindful of in our setting here on the north side of Indianapolis is um, it's a fairly affluent area. It's, um, it's not heavily impacted by a lot of the economic downturn to this point. Um, and a lot of churches are constantly choosing to go and do mission in downtown or 30, 45 minutes away to different socioeconomic groups. And I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I certainly don't want my comments to be cast that way. But I also, I'm just really burdened for the people that live across the street from our church and the people that live on my street and and um, that are of the same socioeconomic place that I am. And they are struggling with the same things that I am. And so um, we were talking on, on um, this past week about just considering who your neighbor is and defining that correctly. Make sure you define your audience. Make sure you know in this season and every season, who are you trying to reach? Um, because I think a lot of times mission doesn't bear fruit because we overshoot the audience or we undershoot the audience. And in our particular setting here on the north side of Indy, um, you know, we're dealing we're dealing directly around our church with people who, who pretty much make it seem like they have it all together. Well, then we need to understand the context of our mission field, Who consider who our neighbor is, Otherwise, we're not really being faithful or fruitful. Um, and so we were pressing in um, as we were talking through that on just making sure that you know who your audience is. Make sure you know, consider who your neighbor is and, and be willing to limit that and to be willing to say we're going to intentionally and strategically go after serving and loving and giving the gospel to this group of people around us um, and, and kind of defining that. Yeah, and it's not just about growing one's church through outreach. Uh, it's it's about seeing the gospel go forward and seeing Jesus magnified and seeing people converted. Because I think there are people that uh, live far away from their church, even pastors who don't necessarily live in the community, and they get where, where their church is located. And, and so they think, well, yeah, but I don't live there, so I don't know why I would reach out because I can't really invite them to church uh, or people that drive away further and or drive from further away. And, and I'm just thinking, yeah, I mean, you know, this isn't first about church growth. This is first about seeing people one to Christ. I, I think that's true. I think that's really important. And I think um, – a lot of people will not define an audience as closely around the church because they may misunderstand or misinterpret that all you want them to do is come to church. If we were faithful to give the gospel to our neighbors and see a massive revival in our cities, our churches could not hold them. We would be forced in the best way possible to have to plant new churches. Um, and so uh, part of being about 
God's kingdom is to not continue to prioritize my little K kingdom in my mind. We're not sure in the gospel to get people to come to our church. Um, just like I don't want people to, to invite people to our church because they don't want to share the gospel. Like we share the gospel because we want people to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to respond to him. And where there are more followers of Christ, there should be churches planted and raised up. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to come to my church. Yeah, one of the things I love about about what God is doing in GCC is, you know, we, we have our seven values, gospel integrity, relational connection, intentional care, deliberate collaboration, contextual application, healthy plurality, but the last one is kingdom focus. And there's just a recognition that the gospel is bigger than us, the church is bigger than us, that we're not simply about expanding our thing, but we want to learn from and contribute to the broader body of Christ. Right, I agree with that. I'm so thankful to be part of a group of brothers and a, a group of churches that actually are saying that as a value. Uh, we, we value pushing ministry away and letting the fruitfulness uh, be where God puts it. I, I love being part of that. So, Brian, you talked about thinking strategically and and that as pastors are thinking strategically, that's going to involve thinking about resetting. You used the word reset. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, I think when you talk about kind of rev- like this season, this season is an incredible opportunity. Like I, I don't see this. Obviously, there's a lot of change, and I'm a guy who likes change, so I have to kind of couch my comments in that. But I, I think there's a great opportunity to review what we're doing and then reset. And when we talk about resetting, we talk about this, like what, how does this season help us reset the rhythms of gospel demonstration and proclamation in our community? In other words, we may have been doing it one way and seeing a certain amount of fruitfulness, but how has this pandemic and the way life is changing require us to learn some new muscle movement, so to speak, spiritually, about how to demonstrate the gospel and proclaim it. I think it would be short-sighted to think that it's just going to look the exact same. It's not going to go back to the same normal. What great opportunities are now in front of us to demonstrate the gospel and its grip on our life in new ways so that we can proclaim it more openly and see more fruit? So I think that resetting is looking for those new rhythms, but I also think just in thinking practically, in what new ways will we engage the culture around us? In what new ways are we going to have opportunities to build new relationships so that we can demonstrate and proclaim the gospel? I just think if, if we're not taking the time to review what we're doing and reset, um, I, you and Dave, you and I have talked about this several times. I think sometimes we stop at, well, if I just do what the Bible says on this, I'll be faithful, I'll be faithful, I'll be faithful. And we don't consider that fruitfulness comes out of faithfulness. We have to understand our audience and who we're going to. And this is just a great opportunity to do that so that we are both faithful and fruitful. Hey, Brian, I want to jump in for just a second since we're talking about uh, resetting. What's the What are the challenges that pastors are going to face uh, and elders are going to face who have been thinking through, praying through, uh, attending cohorts, reading, trying to make the best decisions that they can to lead many times churches whose primary goal uh, is to get to get back to church. Um, so the, the DNA of the church 
is what they want to recover, the comfort of what they know. While the pastors are looking at ways to reset, consider, plan, and their elders are on board and everyone is praying in that in leadership, uh, but churches often are just, uh, the members are like, I just can't wait to get back to church. And their desire is to go back to the normalcy, the comfort, which isn't necessarily wrong, but it certainly does work against strategic moves that would make us more missional. How, how can pastors address some of those issues? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, if we've been in cohorts and we've been reading, we're trying to take a massive amount of information and distill it down into what am I going to do when the doors reopen? Right. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and I think um, and I think we've all been doing that. I think we're all trying to learn. Um, I, I see maybe a couple of principles uh, here. First of all, we're called to be shepherds, which which means we want to shepherd people who are fearful or um, who are struggling with the change and and that's producing in them the desire to get back to the normal. I um, heard someone say one time, it's not so much that people fear change, they fear loss. Mm -hmm. And, and there's a, there's a fear of losing what we had. Um, And so part of being a shepherd is to love the sheep, to uh, assure the sheep, to, uh, be in a relationship with them. That's all super important, regardless of how it all comes back. But I also think a principle of shepherding is making sure the sheep get to the green grass. And part of the job of a shepherd is to realize, okay, wait a minute. they We all need to move to this part of the field to get the green grass. And that's where the theology philosophy method has actually been really helpful in our setting. Because when I feel like we've had seasons where we have to move um, maybe there's plenty of grass still left around where we are. We could just keep doing it the same way we're doing it for a while. But there's an opportunity here to press into something new, and we need to kind of move the flock um, towards that new green grass. Uh, we just simply had to say, let's go back to what does the Bible say? Let's go back to what we've come to believe and, and what we've come to value in our settings. Let's review all those things together. It's bringing them along. And then it's saying, in this season, we feel like this is what's best. There's a, a shepherding aspect that if you force it, if you just come out, you're like, this is our five-step plan, and you don't think about that shepherding, that the sheep have to be um, shepherded, they have to be led, um, and it takes time. Uh, if you force that, it's going to be very difficult. But that's this is part of what God called us to as elders, as pastors, as shepherds, to Make sure that we care for the sheep, but also make sure that we're moving them to the right places of the field, um, to the green grass of the ministry God calls us to. That's good. One principle of leadership that I think comes into play and is well illustrated in the, in the pandemic is that crisis reveals weaknesses. And I, I think one of the ways that's being experienced by the church is that uh, all over North America, leaders are discovering that e- even though we profess values of about community, the real metric for success is the Sunday meeting, and specifically the Sunday meeting statistics, the buildings, <laughs> the bodies, and the bucks. Right. And, and, uh, and so this... This pandemic, you know, it, if crisis reveals weaknesses, it also creates opportunities. And and this pandemic creates an opportunity because every church in North America, every church in the world, gets the opportunity to now kind of uh, leverage this crisis to do 
exactly what you were saying to to reset um start thinking about resetting now everyone knows we're coming back to 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 something that's going to be changed things are going to be dramatically different so what a great opportunity to see this as a time to to rebrand redefine and and relaunch that's one of the reasons why we named this podcast relaunch is just to punctuate the importance of having leaders think under and through that category Dave, I think it's so important. And you and I have talked about it before. Um, you know, I, I still consider myself a church planter. It's been you know, 13, almost 14 years uh, since we planted. But I still consider myself a church planter. And I, the discipline of being a church planter and a pastor, you, you have to think about in this season, how do I shepherd my people um, and not be so driven by certain methods that um, just hold you back. You, just, you, you, you embrace the seasons of change. We realize that people do church a lot of different ways all over the world, and God is being honored in that. And uh, just because we can't have however many people in our auditorium now doesn't mean that it's any less effective. In fact, it may be more effective. And just embracing that and being led by the Holy Spirit in that I think is super important. Brian, I'll make this my last question, but I really want to get your opinion on this. Um, Last week, Marty and I were talking about how a a post-pandemic world is going to involve bivocational ministry far more. That's going to become far more popular. Um, do, do you see it that way? And and if so, why? I, I do see it that way. Um, David, something you and I have talked about before. Uh, I think that there, even before the pandemic, I think there were um, several divides in the methodologies used in church planting and church in general, and and we were seeing a rise in uh, bivocational church planting and the effectiveness of it. Um, this makes the, the pandemic, in my estimation, makes those divides on methodology and those things. It makes it much larger. It, it, there's there are certain divides that even come just financially. Um, certain churches that are below a certain size or below a certain financial um, level, are gonna, it's gonna be more difficult um, for them to do ministry in that way. And so um, instead of continuing to try to force that and uh, wrestling with the ineffectiveness of trying to hold on to certain budget models, um, I certainly think we're gonna see a rise in bivocational ministry. And again, like I just said a minute ago, the church has done a different way all over the world. and and when we really have a global perspective, there's many, many, many pastors who are bivocational. And that's what works in a different part. We may just not be used to it working that way in our part of the world. Um, But I I see it not only as a trend, I I see that as an opportunity. I mean, that's gonna allow more churches to be planted all over the place because we're not just planting them a certain way that cost a certain amount. Uh, It actually, brings a flexibility to it, um, and it, it changes the methodology some for sure, but I think there's effectiveness in that too. I definitely think the trend is going to go that way, and I definitely think it's a good trend to go that way. Now, Marty, you are a bivocational pastor and have been one for a while, so you've got experience here. I'd be interested in your answer to that question. Um, 
Thank you, Dave. Uh, I have been uh, up until a week or so ago. I was uh, still actively on staff uh, at my at our church. I'm continuing as an elder, but since I've been in Nashville, I've been bivocational um, at two different churches here. Uh, there's strengths for the church and the staff, uh, and frankly, for the minister himself. And there's there's weaknesses too. It's um, the strengths are obviously that uh, a local church can cover more ground with, uh, with paid staff. They have a little more uh, ability to, to guide different ministries in ways that you wouldn't if you were having to hire only full-time or choosing to hire only full-time. Some of the challenges are uh, the ability to get together regularly. Uh, meetings are a challenge. Um, some of uh, how much do you require of a bivocational person versus a full-time person. So there's, there's a balance there, uh, but I totally agree. Uh, in fact, I think the term marketplace minister has been used in recent years to uh, talk about this very scenario that, uh, that there is a strength when the church can grow and it's at a young age without, uh, without having to take on the entire salary of the church planter or the pastor or the worship pastor. Uh, and there's some time for growth there uh, where the, those people are working a secondary job full time. And I also agree, I think Brian said this, that that may be the permanent model for some places. So they may plant with a bivocational pastor and they may remain with a bivocational pastor for any number of years or forever. Um, Small towns are very familiar with this. Uh, I grew up in a situation where my grandparents were Methodist and they only had a preacher every other Sunday. Uh, sometimes it's Sunday morning and sometimes Sunday night. And back then I was happy to be there when they didn't have preaching on Sunday morning. It was just Sunday school. So I'd go back to granny's house. Uh, but small church, small towns have been familiar with this for a long, long time, but I think it'll become a model for church planting that will allow that kind of movement to expand even faster. Um, Brian, uh, you and I, I think both came through traditions uh, networks, denominations where the majority of people were funded in ministry were funded full time. And uh, I think that's part of the history of GCC as well. Are, are, are there any obstacles that uh, a network that comes from that kind of background would need to overcome to embrace bivocational ministry as a legitimate option for church planting? I think we have to overcome our comfort zones. I think we have to overcome, uh, you know, what has been the norm. Um, I think that uh, when we think of doing ministry, uh, I don't care what our background is. I don't care what kind of uh, denominational background comes from. When we think of doing ministry, we think of doing it a certain way for a reason. Um, And I think it's really key to isolate what those reasons are. Is it just because that's what you're used to? Is there a theological reason for it? Is this a philosophy of ministry thing? So I think isolating some of those barriers are important because there could be barriers that keeps mission from happening. Um, If we can only plant a church or we can only have a church that looks this way and we have to reproduce it in that way, in that city, um, we're limiting we're limiting missional opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think just understanding the, the barriers of background and what philosophical assumptions we've come to about church that maybe need to be challenged a little bit, I think those are barriers. But I, I would say this, I think bivocational ministry forces 
and intentionality and quite frankly, a limiting of responsibilities for the bivocational person to certain things. And if you don't do that, it usually doesn't work well. But when that happens, what it means is you can be, you can be laser focused in on that one thing that you do or that two things that you do, those two things that you do. Um, so huge opportunity if we're willing to uh, challenge some assumptions and break down those barriers. Thank you for listening to Relaunch, the GCC podcast. Be sure to subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. And if you have a moment, rate and review at your app and recommend to your friends. If you haven't visited our website, it's gccollective.org. You can find us on Twitter at the GC Collective, Instagram at Great Commission Collective, and you can easily find our Facebook page by searching there. Until next episode, on behalf of Dave Harvey and the entire GCC team, I'm Marty Durant.